Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read manga before. Hosted by me, Deb Aoki, David Brothers, Christopher Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. This week's my week, and I'm going to be talking about BL Metamorphosis by Kaori Tsurutani. It's uh, published by Seven Seas Manga. It is translated by our friend Jocelyn Allen, who I'm sure by now people think she's slipping us a 20 under (laughs) (laughs) every time we pick a book. It's adapted by Yusbeth McFarlane, lettered by Ray Steves. The editor is Jen Grunigan, who will probably stone me when and correct me how I'm pronouncing her name. I'm very sorry. But as someone with a last name like Aoki, I feel your pain. (laughs) (laughs) In any case, so BL Metamorphosis is, um, well, actually, you know, the best explanation is it is maybe by just by reading this, the synopsis on the back of volume one, right? Ichinoi, a 75 year old woman living a peaceful life, unwittingly buys a boy's love manga one day. And she's fascinated by what she finds inside. When she returns to the bookstore to buy the next volume, the high school girl working there, Urara, a seasoned BL fan, notices a budding fangirl when she sees one. When Urara offers to help Ichinoi explore this whole new world of fiction, the two dive into BL fandom together and form an unlikely friendship along the way. Hmm. So why did I pick this book? One, because we started to kind of dip our toes into shoujo and an and a next step after shoujo is boys' love. <laughs> <laughs> and rather than, you know, throw Chip into the deep end, into the land of boys' love, I thought a gentler introduction would be through the world of BL Metamorphosis, which is a charming manga about discovering boys' love manga. It's also got some nice things about it in that it it's a bit of a slice-of-life manga. It's about a friendship between an older woman who hasn't read manga in years and a younger woman who is just starting to find her way into the world of manga. By the end of volume two, she starts to make this transition from being a fan into being a creator. The other thing that's nice about it is this, this like uh, Monthly Girls Nosaki-kun, is a manga about making manga, or a manga about the world of manga in Japan. Besides, you know, Arara working at a bookstore, there's also the part where they go to an actual comic show and they get to meet the creator of the manga and they get to see this whole ecosystem of how manga is made and sold and in japan so mm. anyway there's a lot to love about it but let's get into figuring out what y'all thought of this and because chris is kind of a fan and chris knows ikebukuro quite well <laughs> let's start with chris i i mean i loved it i was giddy when you uh, picked it a couple of episodes ago i was like oh my god finally i was worried that i'm not worried but i was excited to pick it myself if this kept going on but was that the episode where you encouraged deb's pick yeah like that was the episode your- okay <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll sacrifice and then we ended up picking um i ended up picking phoenix which is actually going to get bumped to season two now and so yeah this was like a delightful little a little choice i don't share a lot of a lot of stuff about working on the manga side of things but i will say I bought this book in Japan uh, on release day. I was so excited when I heard about it. I, I got a PR about uh, the first chapter debuting, and I'm like, what a high concept. Like These two people sort of connecting as friends across a valley of like 60 years, and I was charmed by it. You know, I, I really fumbled my way through trying to read it with you know, <laughs> little Japanese I had plus Google Translate because <laughs> I was so into it. And then I got to the end, and I 
like I loved it. I loved it. I pitched it. It was not accepted. And then lo and behold, now it's actually out. Uh, someone did pick it up. It's the kind of thing that I get it. Uh, I get why it wasn't picked up as well. Having read it, it is the slice of lifeiest slice of life I've ever read. <laughs> and it is like, it takes its time. It really is not about anything. And all of the like breakthroughs, all of like the good moments, if you try and describe them as someone, they're so small. They're so little. But for me, it was just like, my heart grew three sizes every time one of those things happened. <laughs> it was it was like the cutaway to the Grinch's heart. It was nice. It was just like, yeah, I sat and read it, and I actually had all four volumes and couldn't stop. I couldn't put it down. I just read the whole thing. So now, actually, in my head, it's just one long story. I have no idea. Like, I know sort of where chapter one or book one ends, but the rest of it, I feel like I'm going to spoil the whole series. So I'll, I'll try and be careful <laughs> about it. Does it only but... go to volume four? It goes to vol- five volumes. And okay. fifth volume's not out yet. We're reading something that's very contemporary, actually, which is good for nice. us. It's it's sort of rare. It ends there. Yes, it ends at okay. volume five. Wow. Uh, volume five comes out in September. Here in September or January? Or this Japan se- in September? No, this September. It's already ended in Japan. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I loved it. I I I knew I liked it. Reading it in my native language and reading all four volumes, or four, the first four volumes, not just the first one, I really loved it. And I can't wait to see the ending. And I have so much I actually want to dig into about what it does, too. But I feel like I should let somebody else talk for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Maybe let's go to David next and see what he has to say. Much like Chris, I loved it. Maybe for different reasons. I feel like I saw myself in both of the characters in different ways. And sometimes oh multiple God, yes. ways from the same character. Like going to, I haven't gone to get like an autograph at a comic show probably since my first or second one. But like I remember that feeling of like getting to like the front of the line and now like this is the moment. Don't say anything stupid. <laughs> and then like you try to say something nice, but it comes out wrong. Like, yeah, please finish your comic before I die. very relatable I liked it after the first chapter I thought it had a very cute ending with her in bed reading but after the second chapter that was where I was like okay this is like hitting a stride that I like where Urara was like I almost offered to lend the book to her I thought Mm. that was like such a like Chris mentioned like these very small payoffs where this clearly antisocial not antisocial it's a little unfair Socially awkward? Socially awkward, yeah. yeah. This girl, like, she makes a friend and doesn't even realize it, but she does, like, the next step of, like, pushing the friendship forward by, like, trying to, you know, give her a kindness. And then the book just kept doing that over and over and over and over. The relationship between her and her childhood friends are good. The tension between her and her childhood friend's girlfriend is interesting. There's just so many different points about this that I, I really liked. I talked to Emma Rios about this before we got on the podcast. I was like, oh, you know, I like, I know all I knew about this book before I read it was what you said on the pod, Deb, and that Emma was really into it. So I came in like completely fresh. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Emma mentioned like the stuff about getting older, about being a young fangirl, about being a creator and a fan and kind of the tension between the two, like all of it rings very true. That this is the kind of comic we need more of because it's like very honest and real, but still new. Like, I've never read a comic about an old lady and a teen girl being friends before, where they weren't also, like, somehow vampire hunters or something. You know? <laughs> oh, America, why you got it? Right? <laughs> <laughs> but this was so good and so refreshing and so human that I'm absolutely going to finish the series. 
Hmm. All right. And now our new to BL friend. <laughs> new to BL. First of all, I, I loved in your opening about putting me on the island of boys love. Like that's just a phrase that should get me banned from all sorts of countries. <laughs> Much like uh, all of you, I I thoroughly enjoyed this. At, at first, I was a little bit like, as I usually am, I'm just like, mm, I don't know about the art. But then even the art kind of won me over. Like it, it suited the, the, the style of the story. Yeah, I found it just super charming. And it was such a breezy, quick read. Like, like when you assigned this and it was volume one and two, I'm just like, ugh, two volumes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but like you know I, I i i read through volume one while i was in bed with no intention of going into volume two but i just went straight into volume two which you know i almost never do and what i liked about it was that it built the story like like mm. a, a lot of the manga we're reading is just like you know either very 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 slow or just kind of episodic in nature but this one, like volume two with the, the, the Comic-Con was just like, it was just a, it was a delightful extension and, and also bringing in the creator. Was such a fun move. And there's like, there's the one page of the creator at home drawing the character and just, you know, leaning on her tablet, just being like, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> Look how cute I draw you. Yeah. I drew you. Yeah, that was so it's, sweet. It's such a, an amazing moment. And, um, and you know, it, it kind of zigzag in ways that I didn't really expect. Like, when uh, Ichinoi's daughter discovers this this new uh, interest of her mom's, she doesn't like freak out. Like she, she just, kind of internally freaks out, kind of. And but then it's just like, like she catches herself, and yeah. that is what was so interesting about that. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that it wasn't played for melodrama. It wasn't no. an over the top reaction, like fictional. Yeah, reaction. it was. It was. It was kind of sweet in a way, and mm-hmm. obviously the relationship between her and Urara. It's just amazing, and it's funny the ge- the generational difference. Like when when she when um, Arara texts her about the I think at that point it's about the Comic Con, and she doesn't get a response right away. <laughs> she's like, "Oh my god!" She's going through all the things everyone always goes through. But I'm like, "But you just texted a 75 year old lady. Like, <laughs> like if she gets back to you in a week, that's fine." <laughs> yeah, it was it was. It was a super, super sweet relationship. And I, also, I especially loved how uh, Ishinoi was just all in. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no, there was no hesitation. And, like, even when she was introduced to, like, the, the, the smuttier BL, she's just like, great, this is great. Like, everything she encountered <laughs> was great. And she had, like, encouragement for the work. No, no she was matter surprised, what. but pleasantly surprised, which was cool. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. that's what this is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's delightful. It's the, it's the kind of book that I like to read. I like the slice of life stuff, and especially with such a interesting concept and, yeah. uh, and relationship. Yeah, Deb, did you did you like it? Had you read it before he recommended it? I had, yes. Hmm. I re- I heard about it and wanted to read it, so I immediately, it's as soon as I got it, I did pretty much the same thing. I read the, all the volumes that were available as soon as I could get them. <laughs> I think I read volume one and then volume two together. There was, a, I mean, the reason why I recommended one on two because one ends at a point where she's just getting into the books, and two is when I think things really get super interesting because they actually go to these the manga show and then they meet the creator 
and she gets you see how Ichinoi kind of like starts to fangirl out on it, you know, like they go to the McDonald's and they go, Oh my God, do you remember what? And you, you see what they make? And, like, ah, and he does this. And, ah, and it's like, Oh wow, that's perfect. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's for me, it's cute too, because it, it's also these ages of women that are so different. Like each, you know, he's kind of like, she's 75. She's kind of seen and done a lot, but she's not cynical. You know, yeah. she's, she doesn't talk down to Urara. She's very gentle and she just kind of like, but she has this like this can do confident attitude that can't help but inspire Urara without her telling Urara to be a certain way. She's very accepting of her mm-hmm. and all, all the ways that she's anxious and nervous. And mm-hmm. she, she also respects Urara as her teacher as well. Mm-hmm. Be, even though she herself is a calligraphy teacher, she's an art teacher in a way. Mm-hmm. I think that's, it's a really special, special character that they've created. I mean, like the nerd girl, the shy, anxious nerd girl character is not uncommon in manga. <laughs> but, no, that, is, that is fair. Yeah. But the, but the, the, to pair her up with a, a older woman who is nerdy, but not yeah, is nerdy too, but not, it is not a cradle the grave nerd. <laughs> so She's like an old fashioned nerd. Like she yeah. just likes things deeply. Yeah. Um, I, like, I like cradle to grave nerd considering her age. <laughs> you know, because she there's a, point, there's a point where she says, "When's the last time I read manga?" And she rattles off some titles that came out of the 1970s. You know, yeah. so obviously she's she's had this life in between reading comics, which is whereas I have read comics from Dave, <laughs> I don't know since since I could read, <laughs> and it Same. hasn't stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had a lot of I thought, wow, that's kind of lovely, you know. Mm-hmm. Ichinoi was almost. Too perfect, but it but I found it really charming. So mm. I kind of like forgave it in the in the context of the story. Like mm. if she was younger, you know, people would throw around the term like Mary Sue, but she's more like a Mary Worth Sue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted oh, to get nice. that. <laughs> yeah, that was exquisite. I, I had to not press the button. I, I knew you were reflecting, Chris. I, I was like reaching for the mouse. Do you want to press the button, Chris? Press no, button. it's okay. It's okay. Press the oh, button wait, so wait. the audience understands. They added new features to our <laughs> online recording situation, and I've just been like, but I'm, I'm terrified because all I want to do is like have uh, <laughs> every time anyone says anything funny because y'all are so funny, and then when I do it myself, it's like an extra level of cringe humor. So I'm kind of into it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, transitioning to that next. Oh my god. I actually really enjoyed uh, the the fact that you do find as the series goes on. Actually, I should have asked how many did you did you read, Chip? I, I read the two, the first yeah. two. Yeah, and, and for me David, too. same. Yeah, they they get into there are some really gentle foibles that Ichinoi possesses that you get to see as the series goes on, and it's fascinating because. It's very matter of fact in the same in the same way, and seeing Urara have to deal with that, uh, I think, is really good too. The you see it a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's in. Oh, basically, after after they go to the so the volume one ends with the characters going to a comics event, a doujinshi event, where they're going to meet the author of the the manga that's brought them together as friends, and. 
it starts chapter your book two starts off with them sort of at that and sort of the the problems that go on uh, because Ichinoi is sort of like an older woman so she gets tired pretty quickly some of the line situations are really awkward and you know they can't get around they get split up and then they come back together again and so without thinking Rara and says oh do you like and you know Ichinoi loves ends up you know spoilers she loves going to J Garden she loves going to the event and Rara is like oh do you want to go to Comicette because she'll be the same author will be there there'll be new stuff out by then and you get to see and buy even more stuff and she's like oh my goodness that sounds amazing and then there's like a whole chapter where Rara is like dealing with the fact that she invited a 75 year old lady to go to Comicette which is at Tokyo Big Site it's like a 25 minute walk from the edge of the station to the front door of the event there's no places to sit down really it's lots of lines it's really hot because it's summertime all that kind of stuff or really cold because it would be winter. It would be uh, winter. Comic. It's really trying for even healthy middle-aged people. <laughs> yeah, tell me about <laughs> it. There was, I think I went to every one for about three years in the middle there, and it's just like she has to reflect, and she realizes that she has a position of responsibility in that friendship, and it's not to like she has to maybe treat this person who's her senior a little bit with kid gloves because this person who's her senior is so excited, maybe she won't look after herself. And the idea of Ichinoi not looking after herself exactly does come up later into the series, like when her daughter comes to visit from overseas and the condition of her house and things like that. And it's just like her gentle foible pointing out that happens is that like she's she's sort of fading away, you know what I mean? And she's not taking care of herself. She's not looking after herself. And it's maybe the manga and maybe this new friendship has maybe started to make her think about taking care of herself. So even when they do like give her a flaw, it's just the most charming lovable flaw yeah it's like it's really nice it's really like you feel bad for everybody involved but like you know like oh i want to hug you kind of a way not in a like sucks uh to be you kind of way it's it's yeah it's the most gentle manga and i love that i love that part of it in terms of just dealing with with how perfect she appears to be anyway sorry i think i'm not hosting this episode i need to shut up no it's all good i think they provide guardrails for each other Rara protects Ichinoi in the fandom space, while Ichinoi is showing, kind of showing her how to socialize uh, the way that she kind of wants to again. Uh, mm-hmm. Like by the second volume, Rara is already like, "Oh, can I ask her for advice about like boy stuff?" Because surely she has a lot of uh, experience in that realm, being seventy-five years old. But there's a bit in the first volume that I really liked on page one thirty-seven, where they're going to the convention and they spot two girls with roller bags talking about Jojenshi. So they're, like, they're clearly going in the same direction. And Urara's instinct is to whisper and just like follow them discreetly. But the old lady's like, no, let, let, let's ask them and be sure. And Urara freaks out a little bit. She's like, no, like, let, let's do it my way. And they're both right. Like, both are perfect, perfectly valid ways of being a fan of moving like in this space. But I think like the push and pull between them, you know, the older lady being all in and saying, you know, like, let's get in this line. And the younger lady kind of being like, let's take it a little bit easy, too. Yeah. It's just so good. And just great drawings of old ladies in this book, too. <laughs> I think what's interesting, too, is like there's a there's a there's a lovely there's a lovely upbeatness and lovely breezy slice of life to it. But there's also underneath this this the steady drumbeat of this woman is old mm-hmm. and and her time on Earth is limited. And it's kind of like part of this. Yeah. It's it's kind of interesting because it's not 
it's not played for it's not played for tears or or for emotional effect, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of there, always in the background. You know, kind of like, like from little moments like, oh, this author puts out a book every year and a half, and do I have Will I live to see the end of this series? <laughs> when she's doing the math in her head, that is one of the most grim things in the world. Yeah. But it's not even played grim. It's not played for laughs. It's not played dark. It's not whatever. She's just like, so. she's at the end of her life and she's so matter of fact about it. It's like, am I going to get to see the end of this? And then, but that scene ends in such a like amazing way where she's just like, that's it. I'm going to have to live to 90. Uh, and that's like, yeah. <laughs> she's like <laughs> determined now. Like, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to live just long enough to see this complete. And it is such a nice like it's another one of those like heartbreak like oh that's kashi like oh, i love her kind of moments it's so good mm-hmm. and the last panel of that page is the uh you know she has a shrine to her husband uh, if shrine mm-hmm. is the right word and it's just a photo of him smiling as a reaction shot and like that's perfect like it's sort of it shows me as a reader that she's on the right path and i think it shows her perspective as a person that like her husband is always there smiling and protecting her, even though he's gone. Mm. There's like some, a cool storytelling thing in there for me. Yeah, that's a, a putsudan. I, we've, we've always, I've always had one in the house. My, my, my grandparents always had one in their house. It's basically like this little box with doors. Mm-hmm. And you put a photo or whatever, memorabilia. And then there's a picture of Buddha and some a place to burn incense and Every time when I go to my grandparents' house, you know, we'd, there'd be food in front of it and you make light incense and you make a prayer. So it's yeah. kind of nice because, you know, that means the people who are dear to you are always near. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I appreciate the attention paid to that in the series. There's three or four scenes maybe over the course of the first book where, you know, she's cleaning it or uh, talking to her husband or just kind of being around her husband. Like he's always a presence. And it's very sweet. Like there's definitely that kind of like melancholy undercurrent, but like you were saying, like it swings up every time when you get to like kind of the, the dark end of things. Mm-hmm. There's even a joke on that page where she's doing the math in her head and it says she calculates quickly. It's like, you know, she, this lady has really lived a life. There's <laughs> <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. like that cute moment in volume two where she actually go, like you were saying earlier, where she goes up to the author and says, it would be lovely if you would if you could draw a wee bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Udada kind of like wants to pull it. It's like, no, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and then she gives a victory sign with like a super yeah. serious face. <laughs> like, I love her. She's so cool. Mm. And that comes back later. As, as David mentioned, they actually take pains to introduce the mangaka as a character. And it's not like they all become friends or whatever. Like, again, it's like played very realistic where you just like... Every once in a while, you'll dip into the life of the mangaka and her assistant and what's going on with them. And they're like, yeah, maybe I should draw a little faster. Remember that old lady that was like, please draw faster? That's that's pretty funny. And then they, that's it. Like, that's the only mention. Like, it doesn't become like a whole thing. They aren't trying to track this lady down or anything. Like, I was just so taken aback while reading this about how naturalistic it is as a, as a form of storytelling yeah. and how how rare it is to get something like that like it's there is an artifice to it there is like this is a story being told by an author but the moments where you feel like you're being talked to as a reader rather than getting to sort of peer into this thing that's going to happen with or without you are, are very very few which is nice i think so that's also interesting about this book this 
about BL Metamorphosis is how non-judgmental it is about boys love manga. Yeah. It's and it's interesting because you can see this contrast in attitude, right? Because you know, when she first buys the book, Ichinoi puts the book on the counter at the bookstore. Like I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> you know? And like, wouldn't you like to have a plain paper like book cover for this? <laughs> and then the manager says, you know, don't pry into like customers' affairs. You know, mm-hmm. like there's this kind of understanding of that boys' love is kind of naughty. Yeah. You know? And to Ichinoi is like, oh, haha, no big deal, right? It's like, yeah, I'll take the book without a book cover, whatever. <laughs> and then when she reads it and she goes, oh my, my. But to, still, she's not she's not awash in this fujoshi shame. Like fujoshi means dirty, like rotten girl. Yeah. And so the fujoshi's kind of the attitude is kind of like, yeah, we're we're perverted, we're, we're so bad, you know. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're just rotten girls, you know. I mean, that's where that term kind of comes from. I mean, it's self-deprecating, but it, it's also a badge of pride. Yeah. But mm. but there's also a sense of like, ooh, we're reading porn. yeah i was was kind of wondering about the acceptance of bl just because of the scene like i kind of understood the scene because you know oh it's an old lady buying this what's up but the um when urara's friend finds her stash or whatever the fact that she makes it like a secret stash like Mm -hmm. makes it seem like oh is this not a thing in japan like you're not supposed to be reading this like I think it's super nerdy in connotation. Mm-hmm. Like there's uh, a sexuality aspect as well. And there are like different taboos, I guess, involved with that, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. But this is like deep fandom, like going to shows, like making your own books. It's like a level beyond what most high schoolers would think is cool. Yeah. So I kind of get it from that perspective. But I think also there is still a stigma against homosexuality in Japan in some, many ways. Mm, and it's interesting like short answer yeah absolutely yeah. but longer answer you in a general bookstore that has any general bookstore that has a manga section will i would say 90 99% of the time also have a bl section like a yaoi section but won't always have a straight hentai or ecchi kind of a section either and sometimes they will but it'll only be like one shelf whereas you know even in the bookstore that you know is at at the station in the suburbs there's still like you know a meter and a half of bookshelf that's just bl top to bottom and i think it's because it's for women it's seen as less less problematic if it yeah. was gay manga if it was gay manga for gay people and bl is not intended for a gay audience then it would be huge. Like you can't find BL, like you can't find gay manga for for gay people almost anywhere, except for specifically gay bookstores uh, or you know mail order or or whatever. There was a huge deal when Mandarake, who is the big used bookstore chain in Japan, started carrying, like accepting and carrying used gay manga, like the Tagame, the Jiraiya, uh, the Kaz, you know, kind of stuff, Kaz Hidechikawa, um, kind of stuff, because it was like we're a mainstream thing and we're going to carry gay stuff. But carrying gay stuff that's intended for women, every bookstore carrying gay stuff is intended for gays, not anywhere. <laughs> and it's a, it's a big, it's a, it's a dividing line. And mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot more, like we could really dig deep into BL mm-hmm. at some point, really dig deep. But the short answer is it's, it's treated, it's treated like this isn't gay. It's treated like an offshoot of shoujo manga. And not even an offshoot of Jose, but an offshoot of shoujo manga, where it's just like, and it, the, its origins are in 70s shoujo manga, where like 
oh, it's a boarding school and two boys fall in love with each other. And then that like heart of Thomas kind of stuff kind of grows up from there. But like, yeah, it, it's just treated differently. So it's, so is, there's no boy audience for boys love them really? Almost. Uh, it, it becomes pro- complicated. Mm-hmm. North America, obviously it's, a, it's, t- it's treated very differently than it is in, uh, in Japan. <laughs> Let's say. Although there is but a there, there is fudanchi. Fudanchi is basically like the the, the male equivalent of fujoshi, which is like yeah. a male fan of boys love. Yeah, but they are they are draws, highly like, they are highly outnumbered by the female fans. <laughs> yeah. So I went to this 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 thing they go to J Garden the 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 event that they go to at the end of the of volume one is J is uh, for June and that's like the premier boys love manga magazine publisher sort of situation. So I went there, Jocelyn, and I actually went to Jay Garden one time. And I would say for every me, there was a thousand ladies. Like the so Fudanchi are real, but it is like 0.1% to like, yeah, for every dude, there was a thousand ladies at that event. Easy. I saw maybe 15 other dudes total, including one who was someone's manager sitting behind a table. And that was like, that was it. It's it's uh it is a women's production almost from top to bottom for a female audience and i know gay dudes that like tagame actually got his start oh this is a funny funny anecdote tagame got his start doing shoujo and bl manga under a female pseudonym and i don't think he's ever he might have released what it is i'll try and find it and put it in the show notes if i can but there are men working in bl manga uh, that just have to release it under an, an agender or or female pseudonym and i've met a couple of gay mangaka who are like in addition to tagame who aren't out exactly but are like yeah I, I like to do this i like to do the actual gay stuff but when i make it for the the bl audience i have to like change this and change this and do it under my other name and they'll just show me and i'll be like yeah but anyone could be able to tell like your art style is pretty similar and they're like no one wants to find out uh it's staring them right in the face but everyone wants to buy into the fantasy so it's a really and it's changing and it's weird and it's complicated and we could have a two-hour conversation just about this with chip the, the face chip is making so- right now is just like I got a lot of questions. It's because of of all the questions. Radio, Chris, radio. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So for a book like this, what's the audience for this book then? Is it the the women who read BL or is this kind of a a cross-demographic kind of book? I would say it's a cross-demographic book because there's a lot. It's not just a boys love uh, book, right? It's... Mm. In fact, the boys' love elements when they show the love story between the two characters is just just to show like a little glimpse into that world. Mm. What what this book does, what this book is really much more is is oh, a nice little window into this world if you're not familiar with it, and mm. a and a and a comforting blanket of yes, that's how it is for people who yeah. are who are already in that world. I think it seems really validating. Yeah. There wouldn't be a stigma in Japan then that this is a, a boys' love book. I don't. It, it wouldn't be shelved under boys' love. I'll say that. No. Yeah. So it runs in. I just went and checked, and this is fascinating. It runs in Comic New Type uh, magazine, which is the comics version of New Type, the anime magazine. Which I think anyone who's familiar with anime and manga have seen this come over. There used to be a U.S. version printed, and. So it's in the same magazine that had things like Code Geass, which is like a mech manga with very pretty boys, or Pandora's whatever. I don't remember what the English title is, but it's uh, Kokaku no Pandora, which is the new Mazumune Shiro like 
girl dripping in red liquids like it's all running in the same magazine alongside this like weirdo alternative manga and it's fascinating that this is in there like i think that this is just like we're gonna try something real different and see what we can do and this is one a ton of awards and acclaim in Japan. Deb, you had some some of that written down, didn't you? In the yes, I think the Manga Taisho Award. And I think it's also been picked. It was picked for Kono Manga Gasugoi, which is this manga is terrific. It's yeah. a it's a yearly like guidebook of all uh, professionals in the manga business, like booksellers and editors and stuff like that, get together and say, "Here's the best books that have come out in the past year," mm-hmm. and it's a booklet. And it's like, this is the best books for women. This is the best books for men. And it's a pretty interesting, it's maybe kind of like the Eisner Awards in a lot of ways, but it allows them to pick 20 books per audience. Yeah. Okay. And it also, so the other one one was the Japan Media Arts Festival Award mm. you've gotten right here. And that's actually for the new, best newcomer, because this is kind of her first work, like one of her first works, one of her early works. And I think that's really interesting as well. Do we know how old she is? Yeah, she's young. Oh, this is another thing. I just Googled her while we were talking, and her photo's online. What? Uh, yeah, she's born in 82, so she's not... Oh, uh, wow. She, yeah, so she's like a year older our than me. age. Yeah, well, you're five years younger <laughs> than me. Um, <laughs> yeah, she was born in 82, and there's like a photo of her online, and she's on like, like, a, like, a, like a press photo, too. It's not like someone snapped it at an event or something like that, and that's shocking to me that she's clearly not a BL author because she's got her face out there. <laughs> <laughs> which is like a big deal if you make BL is that it's like no one does BL under their real name everyone has a pseudonym or a pseudonym of a pseudonym like they'll do their regular manga under a pseudonym and then they'll have a different pseudonym for their BL so it doesn't connect so I mean who would have two pseudonyms I think in terms of who this is aimed for in the US I think it's aimed at uh, call it fans of a certain age <laughs> who, are, who are old enough to recognize like oh i'm like aging out of a lot of the stuff that i like like time is getting short i need to be more selective about things mm-hmm. and i think that's a good thing you know like as you age like the the things you consume should age along with you you know i don't still watch like 80s cartoons when i need like a hit of energy or something like that like there are different movies and books that i can read now but this book is all about examining the difference between like the same material but at different ends of your life mm-hmm. so ichinoi you know is approaching the end of her life but also urara is approaching the end of you know her high school life mm-hmm. and she's already kind of fraying at the edges uh, the, of the pressures that go along with that but just when they come together like it makes such like a pleasant mix because they're both all in on what they love and that sort mm-hmm. of forms the core of the book mm-hmm. you know we mentioned like an old lady reading smut on page 39 of volume two her reaction to a romantic moment is uh, good for you, Sakura-kun. <laughs> and it's all because she thinks back to you know, her like with her husband and having a nice time. Yeah. So I think what she gets out of the books of you know these two boys kind of finding themselves and finding each other in the process is probably a little bit different than what Urara gets out of the books, which is maybe a little uh, dangerous and romantic and sexy, but they're still mm-hmm. the same story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. It's really deft. Also, some great drawings of summertime. Yeah, yeah, that's really lovely, isn't it? Because it has this nice breeziness to it. Yeah, it, it it really does evoke a quiet Japanese life. Like mm-hmm. the house that she's the house that Ichinoi lives in has the traditional Japanese folding uh, sliding doors that opens up to a veranda, and it's like, oh, that's so lovely. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that's where the Japanese book title comes from. In Japanese, it's Metamorphosis no Engawa. And Engawa, I was just looking it up because I didn't know that word. And that's what the veranda in an old style Japanese house is called. The like wood sort of like, I don't know, meter wide wood thing that surrounds most Japanese houses that you sort of sit on next to the garden and things like that. So it means edge, I guess, or like the edge of the house, but it also is like its name. So it could be like the edge of a metamorphosis or a metamorphosis while you're sitting on the engawa of your house and the scenes that happen there where they're sort of sitting in her old style Japanese house near a garden. Like there's a lot going on. It's very poetic. And I kind of feel like that permeates a lot of this book that there's like a really gentle, like I'm trying to communicate things like and they and every once in a while the author will give it away, which I think is interesting. And I'm not sure if that's in the original or if that's a translation thing. But it's like Urara means bright and energetic and young, and my name means winter because it's the winter of my life, and I'm almost done. And it's just like they explicitly spell that out one panel, <laughs> and I don't think we would have got it. Like I don't think we would have got it as yeah. as you know Ichinoe versus Urara. I'm glad they spelled it out so that I could have a little bit more understanding about what the author was trying to do. But also, uh, like if that was in the text in Japanese, then it's sort of like hammering the point home in a way that maybe it didn't necessarily need to but yeah little things like sometimes that. You gotta right? okay. sometimes you got to make it clear sometimes you got to make it clear i will say yeah. i was thinking thanks, I actually jocelyn. Thought of you. yeah thanks jocelyn <laughs> uh and thank you isabet and the whole production team there's a line there's a line that actually made me think of you david and oh no it's conversations that we've had so i don't know you can edit out this whole section if you yeah. need to but in i think in either volume three or volume four uraras like had a conversation with Ichnoyan and like it's really weighed on her and she's been like I've been so afraid of everything for my whole life basically is like her inner monologue and she's sort of they're sitting at the dinner table and she turns to her mom and she's like did you know that you can just do things and you don't have to worry about it and her mom's like what like where did that come from like they were both sitting in silence and she's like nothing never mind it's just the idea this idea that you can like just try a thing and fail and if even if you fail it's okay you could, but you could still just try and it's not a big deal and it becomes is this like huge revelation for her at 16 in one of the later books and it's some of the stuff that you know you and i've talked about it is just like yeah man you can just try stuff and it's totally yeah. okay and you don't have to be afraid and i think that that's man what a nice what a nice thing to learn what a nice thing to to put into a book <laughs> that young people are going to read right mm -hmm. uh, you can try things you don't have to worry it's lovely because it, it, it works on both levels, right? It works for reading it as an older person. It works as reading it as a younger person because there's lessons for both for both types of readers. Mm, you know? Absolutely. Like I, I, I personally yeah. benefited a lot from having a relationship with a, not that kind of relationship, but a, a friendship with a, a high school art teacher who was my mentor throughout most of my high school and college years. She mm -hmm. gave me this lovely alternative to my, to my, the world that my parents described to me, or my, my parents' worldview. It never replaced my parents, I mean, but, you know, so nice to kind of have someone to look up and go, yeah, that's kind of cool. There's, there's another way to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of like Urara's parents can't give her this kind of guidance or encouragement, but uh, Ichinoi can. Yeah, I love it. I, I, I get that. I get that. There are so many things in life that we love that we don't realize have been given to us by other people. Mm -hmm. Like I came to comic books through my uncle. Um, I started playing Final Fantasy XIV last year because of Emma Rios. I played it alongside my friend Allison as sort of parallel. Like we do the dungeons together. And it's almost like reading a book together, but like separately. You know, there's all these cool things that we do. And there's always someone there helping us along the path. 
And in this case, they're kind of helping each other along the path in a lot of ways. Like the thing with the QR code where she thinks it's a magic eye. Oh my God. That oh, yeah. Maybe the funniest joke for me. <laughs> And then she sees it, you know, they scan it with the phone and she's like, oh, goodness. And that's her reaction. Like, it's so pure. But they're just hanging out. Like, they're just chilling. It's a very warm manga, I think. Like, I was expecting the melancholy to kind of permeate it differently. But instead, it almost seasons it, I think. It makes, like, the joy even sharper. So this references a world that I don't think you've not been to one of these. You've been to a Tokyo Comic Con, right? And that's that's a little different. Yeah, yeah. That 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 felt like a transplanted North American show. It is in a lot of ways, as compared to a like totally native Japanese show. So, did, so in the end, did boys love make sense to you? Did this this whole world make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, it's still uh, it's still comics. <laughs> 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 and and also, I I. I I understood kind of the basics of uh, boy love through my good friend Chris Butcher. I forget if we told the story of Anime North here. I don't think so. Uh, we have not told the story of Anime North. I'm terrified of what you're going to say, but go on. Go <laughs> what is this Anime North thing that happened? <laughs> Do well, tell. <laughs> my, myself as a young man who didn't know anything about uh, manga, I, I worked for a newspaper and and Chris, who worked for a comic shop, would always talk about this anime convention north of Toronto and just how crazy it was. Just super busy. Like it was like their biggest profit maker of the year. And I, I was fascinated by that. So I was going to do a story for the newspaper on Anime North. And I told Chris, I'm just like, I'll, I'll come on the first day and uh, I'll help you set up and I'll, 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 kind, of, I'll kind of work with you and I'll, I'll be able to interview people. And, but I'll work for you guys. First of all, Chris didn't tell me that 90% of the day was set up and they didn't let people in until like the last uh, hour or so. <laughs> so I was basically just free labor for him for all four, four hours, four hours or whatever. And, <laughs> and so the job he gave me was carding for Yowie. And I'm like, what's Yowie? Why am I carding for it? He's like, oh, you'll figure it out. And <laughs> the doors open and I've never seen anything like it. Like, just all these women were just, like, attacking me, trying to get to the stacks of Yowie. Like, we were selling it based on weight, I think. Like, we're just, like, (laughs) Yowie going out the doors. And, like, and so my whole job was just to to card women. And, you know, they're the heartbreaking ones. So you're checking to make sure they're of age to to buy the stuff. Yeah, to buy the, 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 the stuff that is 18 plus. Oh, my gosh. I felt bad turning down some of the... Teenage girls are like, I'm turning 18 in three weeks. But they're like mother-daughter combos where the yeah. mom would buy the 18 plus stuff for the daughter as well. I'm just like, that's actually quite sweet. But I was I was run ragged and I didn't get to interview anyone. I didn't get to write the story. And uh, I'm still mad at Chris. <laughs> I told you you could so come good. back for day two, man. But well, there's uh... no way. There's no way. I was so tired. <laughs> but like it was so popular and I had no idea. Like I just remember like like I, I, I'd help take some money, and it'd just be like these these twenty dollar bills that I'd just throw into a box. There's just a box, just full of money. <laughs> By the end of the day, I'm like, this is wild. This yeah. is wild. And so that that was my introduction to to Yowie. Just how much women, young and old, craved it. Wow! And it blew my mind. 
So I so I basically I, I, I understood enough of it and, and also when our, our in our trip to Japan that we all did, mm. you all kind of explained like the, 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 the fan manga and like the, the one offs that they do for the show. So I, I, I knew all of that going into this. So uh, I think I caught most of it. I don't know if there's anything that I that went right. It sounds like you did, yeah. 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 I really liked the the convention scene for that similar reasons as uh, what you were saying when you were mobbed, like you could feel the fandom yeah. and it also still, I realized thanks to Chris, I've actually worked at Japanese convention. The oh, right. in yeah, yeah. When we did media. Okay. And it feels very true, but it also feels very true to the uh, uh, North American convention experience where like you're pitching books. Like sometimes you got to tell a kid, like, look, I can't sell you spawn, dude. Like you're too young. <laughs> It's just not going to happen. <laughs> and they'll, you know, they'll have a sad face and they'll move along. But like charging your phone, like so many good little bits. There's, there's a really good bit at the beginning of volume two that's about that. That's about this exactly where Urara goes to buy the doujinshi and it's R18 and they try to card her. Yeah. And she's so embarrassed about that that she never mentions it. If I went back and read, she doesn't mention it to Yoshinoi. Oh, that that was the issue that she's just like kind of in a funk at that point. And then Yoshinoi goes and buys it. And I think it's really, unless she, you know, unless she did, she'd mentioned it and I missed it, but like you see her old demeanor change. You see that she's like, I can't talk about this because it's like a setback for me and it's going to make these other people not like me so real. And, but it's not it's spilled out on the page. You're not getting thought like, like thought balloons telling you what she's thinking. It's just like, Oh, and then she's just like withdrawn. She's sitting against the wall. She's like charging her phone, air quotes. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's such a nice like bit of story of, of like environmental storytelling. It reminded me a lot, actually. I was listening, while I was reading this, I was listening to the podcast uh, that was just released on Yona the Dawn. And you were mentioning that like you liked the scene where the king grabs the blade and stops the guy from stabbing, you know, Hawk at, in the flashback. And then you just see the like shot from behind where he's bleeding and you realize that like there's other things going on. He's a strong guy, but he doesn't have to like show force. It's that same thing. There's a lot of moments in this manga where something happens and if you follow it, you can see what's going on in the characters' heads and you can see exactly why they don't want to share those things with the other people in the story for fear of being judged. And that's actually one of the things, the other things I want to talk about, the scene that I think, I think David, you mentioned where yeah. she gets found out, like her, her her childhood friend, like the boy who's like sitting in a room reading manga that she bought home from work, notices her box of smut <laughs> and like <laughs> opens it up and takes a look and looks at it and makes like just the most charming, like, whoa, this is not for me face. And then puts it back in the box and closes the lid and then starts reading his manga and pretend and is like, there's like a, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess that's what this is where she like comes to life. You know, I, th I think it's how it was translated. I'm sure there's a, it was an idiom or something. She that's says, interesting. Uh, she's totally apathetic, but I guess this is where her defenses are down. Yeah. Mm. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. But he doesn't call her on it. He, he makes a face. He, he's like, this isn't for me, but this is like for her. And I know she didn't be embarrassed if I brought it up in any way. So I'm just going to pretend like I didn't read it. I didn't see it. The daughter does the same thing to Yoshinoi. And I think that that's maybe the best way you could explain <laughs> oh Ichinoi, Ichinoi, not yoshinoi sorry, sorry i think you want a beef uh, bowl can we yeah, get a right? yoshinoi sponsorship Ichinoi. now david you need to go back and dub that over every time i fuck it up <laughs> but yeah i think that that's that that kind of moment is maybe the best explanation of the, the place that bl holds like 
everyone kind of knows it's out there. They see it in the bookstores. They see that it's really popular. But if it's not for them, they're not going to pick it up. And they're not probably going to go out of their way to like judge people or be shitty to people for picking it up unless it's really transgressive. Like unless you're like a dude buying that kind of thing. And even if you're a dude buying that kind of thing, the bookstore workers are told very explicitly don't fucking get into the customer's personal lives. Just sell them the book. Like you're at a pharmacy, you're buying condoms, except it's BL. <laughs> but I think it's great. Like, Extra large size. Oh. Yeah, right. And that's like <laughs> delightful. I, I wonder, does that have a does that have a place in North America? Is there something where it's just like something can go on like that? It's for some people, not for others, and it goes uncommented on because this is so prevalent in Japan, and it's just like everyone just stays in their lane. For their hobbies and things like that, and uh, until someone else makes it a problem. When I used to go to comic shops more often when I was in my twenties, mm. and this was a different era of buying comics. I'll say that right off the top. The look on your face just changed so much. By the way, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, as a woman, I I really dreaded going to a comic store because I would get judged on what I put on the counter. Mm. Oh, you reading that? Oh, you know, like. Or kind of, or same thing would happen at record stores, right? Oh, new order, whatever. You know, like if you were really hardcore, you would get blah blah and blah blah blah. You know, like or people would, you know, mm. like that type of nerd, nerd retail gatekeeping. Yeah, is is the complete opposite of mind your own business. The customer's always right. And would you like a book cover for that? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't think of anything we have that would have that kind of dichotomy. I think because mm -hmm. our approach to privacy is a little, is different from what I've experienced in Japan. Like I can't imagine like finding a friend's box of shame and not teasing them a little bit about it, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in like yeah. a loving way. <laughs> but I think that he absolutely made the same, the correct decision. Like he knows his friend, he knows she would be embarrassed. He just likes knowing that like, she's kind of okay. Uh, kind of yeah. over the course of this book, he keeps inserting himself into her life. Like they had their first long conversation in years. He mentions at one point to the point where his girlfriend gets very nervous and insecure, which is not great, but he understands Urara and he's like, okay, she has a thing. Like she's not just lost. This is something I can build on. And I think the daughter is the same deal where the scene where she finds the, the boy's love, she's actually like not listening to smelling her mother's cooking. And it sort of sends her into like a really relaxed sort of state where she's like, oh, I want to watch TV. Like this is nostalgia for her. And I mm. love the storytelling on that page, page 49, where she notices the boy's love next to the TV. Mm. Like there's a little spark next to her eyes, you know, the noticing sound effect, I suppose. And <laughs> yeah, just her approaching it and like pulling it off the shelf. Like there's something so childlike about it. But then approaching her mom, she's like, this is good. Like mom needs things too. Like she lives alone. Dad is gone. She has a friend. She has a hobby. Yeah, no, this is probably one of the best, most heartfelt chapters. It's not the funniest chapter, but it is really heartfelt. Mm -hmm. And I think it really does get across both the place of BL in the culture, but also kind of how people treat it, like you were saying, Chris. Yeah. And BL fandom in North America is so different than it is in Japan. Like, I've been to a couple yaoi cons. <laughs> <laughs> Same. And they oh, are... Sorry. Yeah, they are kind of like going to a Chippendale show. <laughs> <laughs> it is crazy. Do you want to explain the what is it the Bishi Bingo? The Bishi Bingo? No, the Bishi Auction. Bishi Auction, yeah. <laughs> so imagine Jeez. a bunch of hot dudes on stage, and there's is I, I assume it's for charity. It's probably not for profit, but you auction 
off a chance to get a date with these guys for the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's supposed to be totally above board, close on, whatever. But the one, I think I saw one, and my friends who went to several, like extreme rowdiness. Like basically mm-hmm. like bachelorette party lifestyle. It's like these these women come from all over the United States to be in this hotel ballroom with other girls like themselves to unabashedly fangirl out. Yeah. yeah. And they do yeah. and they fangirl out loud loudly <laughs> and unabashedly and joyously to the point where I've seen, you know, like the Japanese BL mangaka come and be special guests at these shows and like Whoa! This is nothing like the ones in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this really does away. sound like Chippendales. Like I remember. I mean, I'm sure my mother is fine with me uh, saying this. <laughs> wow, a lot of a lot of mom stories <laughs> from you. Yeah. Well, like you know, the, at the uh, the the local gentlemen's club in the town where I lived, once every couple of months it would be like Chippendales night. The Chippendales would come through, and it would just be you know the ladies' night there. Mm. And mom would describe it to me after going, just like, it's just wild. It's just women just screaming and throwing money and just throwing champagne everywhere and yelling. And like, it's just crazy. And then, you know, I, I've been to a few bachelor parties uh, in my day that took place at the uh, gentleman's club. And it's just the saddest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> it's just these guys just sitting near the stage, just kind of like, just looking up quiet kind of filled with shame and just nursing their ten dollar beer or whatever and it's just yeah. it's just oh it's they're horrible horrible <laughs> places so that's my opinion on it just because of not because of the the ladies but because of the guys they're just like oh just it's so like if they were getting into it, it'd be another thing. I'd be like, oh yeah look at these guys like cheering and high fiving each other and hugging like and so no. it's like a funeral yeah, exactly. It's like a Whoa. Oh, it's like a horny funeral. The imagery that just came up was crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But yeah, but uh, my my mom and her friends and my aunts or whatever, it was just like a celebration and just like this objectification of this these guys it, it, on stage. It like almost feels as good as that time when you come home and you take off your bra and you go, ah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. The yep. time's 20. <laughs> the, the, the cool air on the boob sweat underneath. I get it. I get it. I get it. Magic Mike and Magic Mike 2 yeah. both had Oh, yes. Yeah. And I think I a lot of it. Double XL. Double XL. I was trying to remember if it was triple XL or double XL. I didn't want to say the wrong one. <laughs> but I think a lot of that is down to like we really force women to hide their desire in a lot of ways in like our, our culture. So yeah. there's only like certain places they can really like scream at a hot dude. Meanwhile, men, any given street corner, you know, it's just sort of how it goes apparently. Yeah. And I think that sort of explains a lot. I don't, I shouldn't say explains, I shouldn't assume, but I think that's probably a factor in how like boys love is received here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. I, yeah, I've been like, told there, by a lot of people no that shame. it sells well in the in the Bible Belt. <laughs> oh, I believe it. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. To like, I get it. Like the repression, but at the same time, like, yeah, it's um, I don't know. And it's yeah. There's a larger, like I said, there's a much larger discussion we had about BL. But I think, I think it's very interesting to see that it is 
that there is a sort of a frenzy that goes on, like just as much at like we go to Comedia. Uh, that's the one that we were talking about. That's that's the one, and they actually go to Comedia in Volume Four of this manga, and that's the one where it's only original comics. You can't do any parody, doujinshi, or fan doujin, or like 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 fan works. I mean, it has to be like an original comic, and it's fascinating to me because they'll be. It's one of the few places where everyone is there so they'll like there are so many rows and each row is sort of themed differently so there's like a row where it's like straight male hentai and then there's a row where it's like yeah we bl there's even a row of gay you know comic creators like gay manga not rows there's furry rows rows and rows and rows but usually a lot of these creators would be at specialty shows like there's like a gay manga show that happens twice a year that all the gay creators go to but if someone organizes it for comedia there'll also be a gay row there and there's like yeah it's it's all a big site it's you know tens of thousands of people it's huge i think it's fifty thousand per per event now four times a year comedia is the one where everyone shows up where it's like the outside of the, the outside ring of the, the whole space where you can have the biggest lineups and things like that is where like the biggest authors go sometimes it's professionally published authors sometimes it's people that are just at like the top of the game in like the fan art spaces and that'll be like yeah you'll have a bl person next to a hentai person next to someone who's just making like you know, a personal work, but they're really famous next to it, whatever. And everyone acts the same. Like people are not like any worse behaved. The people that smell bad are not pegged to one gender or age group. It's just like, oh, you get to see that like fandom, you can slice it down the middle and it's the same all the way down. It And, and we see these different fandoms and they behave different ways mm-hmm. here. But I think in Japan, it's very similar. So to go to like a, yeah, a BL event, like, like YaoiCon or something like that and see people like hooting and hollering, like you wouldn't really get that in Japan. But you wouldn't get some of the creepier, etchy stuff that you see at like Ahego booths or like some of the stuff that happens at like some of the sort of sex industry conventions that happen in Vegas and things like that or whatever. Like it's just it's just a different kind of fandom. So I think that that's really I was specifically thinking of Faku's booth a couple of years ago at Anime Expo, which had curtains and then like displays on the was inside. VR it's, not, it's now a box. Yeah, it was the VR sex thing. Uh, <laughs> it was a demonstration like, where you could wear a VR headset and watch a sex thing that dozens of other people before you also wore. I have to explain the the ahega uh, thing is <laughs> yeah, basically ahega. it's a oh, it's a pattern sex. of shirt that just is a melange of faces of manga girls coming. Yeah, orgasm. It is, it is just orgasm faces. Imagine a sweatsuit pattern. Yeah. Oh yeah. T-shirts, sweatshirts, uh, sweatsuits, capes, whatever you're, whatever you're looking for. For a while. Oh. It's, what do you mean? It's, what? It's the kind of shirt that you wear and say, "Hi, I'm a I'm a jerk, and I don't care what you think." I would. And, well, it's funny because I would love one of those shirts. I might have to get you one. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I, I'd want it where it's like all these women with orgasm faces, and just one woman with just a bored expression. Point to the ones that have been with me. <laughs> Man, this is going to be a fun set of images in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got a clean uh, anecdote point of view take for you, Chris. Oh, oh, sure. clean one. Here we go. Yeah, it's very clean. So I like that they show Ichinoi having like such a deep fandom for what people would call like a younger person's thing. Because I just came back from a trip home, my first trip home in a couple of years, and I forgot that. Me and my grandmother have very similar tastes in movies, oh. but she likes to binge things and I don't. 
So, you know, we usually watch like Mission Impossible or Casino Royale, something like that. I introduced her to Lupin on Netflix, which I liked a lot. Mm. I was like, all right, I have to watch the fifth episode, but we can start with the first one. We'll catch up. So we started at eight o'clock at night. You know, we make it through maybe three episodes. I go to bed. I get up, run some errands, come back in the afternoon the next day. And she's at the end of season two. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) because her and my mom sat down and we're like, oh, we'll just watch this like it's a movie. Yeah. And you so rarely think about like older people having interests like that. You're like, oh, yeah. you know, they're older, they're sick, they don't do this, they don't do that. Like my grandmother loves John Wick. Mm. John Wick you is know? good. This is yeah. Do do you know Danielle Henderson at all? Uh, Naughty Yarn on Twitter. I know her name, but I haven't yeah. met her. I think yeah. Yeah, yeah. She used to be on all the comic message boards. I'm halfway through her new memoir, which is called The Ugly Cry, and it's about her being raised by her grandmother, and her grandmother mm. is into horror movies. And it's just, yeah. like the, it's just the funniest thing. And like, I guess now she's like deep into like Walking Dead, even though she's like 80 or something. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's so fun and funny. I love that. Scarring for her as a child, because like, you know, she was like four and she was watching Halloween or whatever. But yeah. <laughs> but seeing this sort of representation, I think counts for a lot. Because, you know, the fandom, we always think like, oh, it's either like teenagers or gross 40 year old men, you know, in, in like yeah. the North American direct market side of things but it's really not like it's it can be anyone they just need to find the one book that works for them same way she found a random book at a bookstore and it sent her straight to a comic convention yeah like mm. yeah been there <laughs> yeah. we used to get that on saturday i guess it was sundays the globe and mail in toronto would run uh, runs book reviews and every once in a while they'd run a graphic novel review if you know they got the attention of the reviewer and we would get customers on Sunday after they read the Globe and Mail. They would be like, whoa, there's that graphic novel store that's just around the corner. Let's go check it out. And they would come in and ask for the book. And we always knew what, like, why they were there because they would ask for the book that got reviewed that day. And it was the only time we would ever, ever see a customer like that. And it's basically who's still reading the newspaper on Sunday mornings. And it's like usually women, but you know, sometimes women and men in their 60s. And they'd come into a comic book store for the first time. And they would leave with the book that they heard was really good. And maybe they'd come back. And I actually ended up meeting quite a few amazing people that are like, you know, each noise age who discovered graphic novels at 60 or 70. And we did like I did a couple of talks for like a women's like a group of like retired women who work in the arts where uh, Tori Wolcott and I did a talk there about like, all right, here's what graphic novels are. And they were just like, this is delightful. Like we had no <laughs> idea. Oh, we knew about the mouse. We knew about the mouse because that, that was everywhere. But I didn't know they kept making them. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, no, there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> like since the 80s, uh, there have been a lot of graphic novels. So I think. Yeah. I think that's the best thing about comics is like showing that there's like the barrier to entry is really just being accepting to people that want to discover the medium. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I love that. I love that she goes into the store and discovers this thing. Oh, that's what I wanted to say earlier. She's like, oh, well, there's a meter and a half wide bookshelf, like a like a f- five feet of, of, of space and then six feet tall of these books. They must be popular and it must be OK for me to get them because they're just sitting right out in the open here. Like, why wouldn't I just pick it up? There's no shame it's not yeah the, there's the, no the pink curtain and a no one no chip sadarsky asking for your <laughs> your your id card there's no like yeah, the eight sorry you're too old hands, uh, <laughs> on the back back of the back of the curtain and i think that that is a fascinating i think that that's a fascinating thing and then maybe the one thing that we could take away from this as a north american industry is that like not assuming a barrier to entry or not putting a barrier to entry means that people will discover things on their own I love that part of that, of this model. Yeah. And that was really cool. 
Hello, sir. I just read in the Globe and Mail this weekend about a comic named Spawn, and I wish to <laughs> comics are for everyone. Yeah, I can just imagine Peter having to like sell that with a straight face to some dude, some sixty-year-old dude asking for Spawn. I love it. Yeah. Well, let's go around the table and let's get your final thoughts on this book. Um, let's start with David. I love it. It was really good. I felt really seen, and I'll say. My final thoughts, I already covered a lot of ground. On page 64 of volume one, I think, Ichinoi says my eyes were bigger than my stomach. And that <laughs> is like S-rank localization. Like, well done to the team involved, to the editors, to the translators. It was just a really, really smooth and charming read. And those yeah. kind of little idioms, I guess, really add a lot to it for me. Very good. All right. How about Chip next? I, I love it. It was super charming. And... I'm going to make a bold suggestion since it's ending soon with volume five that we do an episode about three, four, and five. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm down. And also, I've got a, I mean, this is more of a question for Jocelyn, but between this and uh, even though we're adults, like there's a similar feel here between those books and do translators, are they picky about the projects that they do or? Like, or do you have to be at a certain level? Like, like now I associate her name with kind of mm. quality slice of life work, which may mm. be wrong of me. But it's, it's funny just the idea of thinking like, oh, yeah, I, I follow this translator to wherever they go. <laughs> and instead of like, instead of a company or a creator. We'll have to get her on the show one time on, uh, on a manga explaining listen to me section. Mm. Yeah, that'd be, yeah, that'd be really good. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. I did have one final take. Oh. Reading this book felt like doing the podcast. Like oh. pitching someone on a book, like kind of talking them through it, seeing what they did and didn't like. Hmm. Yeah. Which is another reason why I like this a lot. Yeah. Huh. Is it my turn? Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, let's do it. No, I mean, I liked it, obviously. I won't shut up. <laughs> I liked it a lot. And it's funny you mentioned, even though we're adults, because this felt similarly mature. Although... It was much more nostalgic, like the the scenes in Ikebukuro at the at the end of the first volume, which is like I spent more time in that that town, that part of Tokyo, than literally anywhere else. And when I tell people that, they're like, "What's wrong with you? <laughs> so boring." Is that like say you're go- <laughs> like like confessing like I spend more time at Javits Center than any anywhere else in New York City? <laughs> A little. Like, <laughs> You're like, why are you always in like it more really like you spend all your time in Wall Street and it's like at least go to Midtown, like go do the tourist shit. But no, it's uh yeah, actually that was the first place I visited when I was in Japan. I went the first time in two thousand seven is uh there's a, a guy named Jean Snow who used to hang out on the WEF and he did a little thing about living in Ikebukuro that was like a Japanese TV thing that he shared and I saw it and I'm like, That looks like a cool part of town. Let's go investigate and wander around there. I didn't know that was the big area of town where all of the like BL stuff like the girls, the Otome Road, the Maidens Road of like BL shops, Fujoshi like shops and things like that. But it was just like such a nice area. And talking about Sunshine City uh, as a building that's there in such a nostalgic way, like they do at the end of the first volume, brought back a lot of nostalgia for me and my visits there and kind of how I'm missing, you know, Japan and my friends there right now. So it was just like, really nice it was really yeah the whole manga was just like oh you're going to be all like sunshine city and you're going to jay garden and you're going walking around in and you're going to this area and this area that i've been to and it's just like 
I kind of like, I should have just been looking around me the whole time that I was walking around. Maybe I would have seen them or something like that. It felt very real in a, in a good way. And I liked that a lot. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say September can't come quickly enough, but the last few months have disappeared almost in an instant. So I, maybe I will like just just really enjoy July and August. And then when the fifth volume comes out, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take it as it comes rather than chomping at the bit for it. Deb, what'd you think? Oh, obviously, I love this book. I think it's really sweet. Mm-hmm. It's it, it hits a lot of great notes it, as far as like being a really charming slice of life story, a glimpse into the world of manga and the world of boys' love in a way that that is very uh, welcoming and mm. very nicely paced. Like you know, like I think I love how she un- lets the story unfold naturally. I don't feel like things are telegraphed too far in advance. I mean, obviously, I think I know how the story's going to end, and I'm not looking forward to that. Is, but, does it have to end like that? What? Deb. What? <laughs> Shut up. No, no, maybe, <laughs> it, maybe, it, maybe, <laughs> maybe it'll be okay. Maybe it'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't know the ending. All I know is um, people were reacting saying it was very touching. So. Mm, trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really sweet, you know? I mean, I thought... I love that it gave us an excuse to talk about boys' love a little bit, but also that I love that it gave the curmudgeonly, I don't like amateurish art, Chip Zdarsky, to appreciate a different <laughs> style of art. <laughs> because it is, it's not, it's not beautiful, it's not beautiful, uh, exquisite, detailed art, but it has a sweet, gentle breeziness to it. And I think that's manga as well. Yeah, I think if this was drawn like Akira, it would be stifling. Also, I don't need, I, more, first of all, more manga <laughs> about older women. <laughs> let's, let's back yeah. up a second. I don't need everything to look like uh, Akira. That is not. <laughs> if I have if I have comments on art, it's mostly about like, oh, that's drawn wrong. Yes, or that is bad, <laughs> bad rendering or bad shading. So don't don't don't. <laughs> Like, oh, it's gonna be a Kira. <laughs> no, sorry. It, it's a different style of art, and yeah. it's mm-hmm. and I think that's nice that that manga is deep and wide and broad to have yeah. different styles of art. Yeah. All right, and we're gonna go to the commercial, and we'll come right back with something. I think. <laughs> See you soon. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And we're back. Hopefully that was a lovely uh, and targeted advertisement. Actually, I heard on, I saw on Twitter that a bunch of people are like, they always say they just got back from commercial, but I've never had a commercial. And it's like, oh, you're outside of the algorithm. But yes, there are, there are actually commercials there after the break noise. Not everyone gets them. Um, I usually get like PSAs. So I don't know what that says about me and my podcast habits. Anyway, I wanted to just quickly mention that we usually try to recommend a North American book that you might like if you already really like BL Metamorphosis and want something else to read. And I was going to recommend, and and Deb helped me with this, thank you, Deb, IRL by Cory Doctorow and Jen Wang, published a few years ago by For a Second. And it's about a girl learning to make friends and get outside of her own comfort zone in a lot of different ways online, uh, through online, you know, gaming and things like that. Uh, It's a great book. And we'll, uh, we'll have the details for that in the show notes. And now I'll turn it back over to Deb, who has reader questions for everybody. Deb. All right. Looks like we got a couple. Um, I want to also remind all our listeners out there that you too can send questions into Manga Splaining. We are taking them through Twitter, through our Instagram, through our Facebook, uh, through email as well. So please send them your questions about things you want splained. Okay. So this one here is from our friend Erica Friedman. And she says, I have a question for Chip. Or for again, for anyone who wants to answer. What was a comic you have read and thought, yes. This is how comics should be. So, Chip, I guess it's it's on you. I guess it would be Garfield Volume Seven. <laughs> no, um, it's that that's a tricky one. Like all I can think of is my memories from high school of finding a comic where I'm just like, oh, this is the book I want everyone to read, and I pass it around so often that it, it just started to fall apart. Which was Kill Your Boyfriend. There's a Vertigo one-shot by Grant Morrison and Philip Bond. That was, like, revelatory to me. Like, just, like, fun, funny, kind of a cartoon hijinks, but, like, had, like, um, kind of a natural-born killer's vibe to it as well. And and also, as I often say on the show uh, that I love, done in one. Like, it was was its own story. Because up until that point, you know, I was reading, like, Marvel books, and I was kind of dipping into some Vertigo stuff, but they were just long-running series. And and to have something that was just like this perfect comedic, dark story all done in one, in which also what stuck out to me was the characters talking to you, mm. uh, almost like they were kind of monologuing to the audience, like breaking that mm. fourth wall. I, I, I hadn't experienced that in comics before either. Yeah, that that to me was like, oh, this is this is what comics should be, and and yeah, I love it. I haven't I haven't revisited it since my college years, so I have no idea if it if it holds up at all. <laughs> For all I know, it's just, it's it's, uh, it's something that wouldn't fly in in, in twenty twenty one. But my memory of it is is that that it's it's kind of a, a perfect comic. Yeah, I feel like I have a lot of things where I'm like, this is what comics should be. Maybe it's just like the hyperbole in me or something, mm-hmm. but like there's so many different ways for comics to be. And sometimes you hit one where you're like, oh, I need like a hundred more just like this. Mm. Yeah. One of those was Pluto by Naoki Urasawa. Oh it was God, eight yeah. volumes long. It's people compare it to Watchmen sometimes because it's just a complete story and really like expertly crafted. Hmm. Uh, and it's about Astro Boy. It's a murder mystery about Astro Boy. <laughs> and I spent half the last volume crying on the bus like a weirdo because it was that touching. Wow. Uh, on the way wow. to work. Yeah, it's really good. But then there's also things like 
Keiji Arawi's city, which is basically just like gag after gag after gag, like eight jokes a chapter and like a you know a twenty page chapter or something like that, where it hits that comic timing where it's like always really pleasant. Even though we're adults, was the last book to make me feel like, oh no, this is like this is what I want more of. Yeah, because there was something about like the maturity of that story, the emotional complexity yeah. that it demanded of the characters, and also like reflection it demanded of myself. Like I could read a million <laughs> more comics like that. Mm. Yeah, same. Yeah, Deb, how about you? Hmm. You know, I, I, it's so hard because it's like, what's what's your favorite food? It's like, I like all food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to, the, the one, when you think like, you know, a book that really moved you or uh, left you kind of like, like took you out of your body. And when you closed the last page, you thought, whoa, where am I? Like, yeah. I think the last time I felt like that was the inkle. Like, oh yeah. Oh, wow. Like that one, I remember reading and the next thing I knew it was over and it was like disorienting to look around and realize I wasn't in that world. And it's, it was such a mind-bending story, and such a it, the way it, the time the story it becomes like this Mobius strip, no, no pun intended, but it <laughs> it basically it ends where it began. And so it's hmm. you know when I was in high school, and mind you, I didn't smoke a lot of pot. I thought it was mind blowing. <laughs> so can, you can imagine how I would have felt if I actually did smoke a lot of pot and read Mobius, like a lot of people do. Yeah, I love that feeling so much. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I was trying to think, and man, like I really burnt out on comics a few years ago. I was actually—it's funny. Eva Volan, who came and did the manga explaining, listened to me. <laughs> Uh, saying we're stuck with that comics. Name now. Yeah, I like that. Now it's really great. <laughs> and I commiserated over this because she used to judge uh, awards awards things for Yalsa and for other like award things. So she would have to read. She was she's an avid reader. She loves books. Obviously, we brought her as an expert to just name off a bunch of books that work. But she would have to read hundreds of books to like give out these awards. And I did that one time, and I read. I was I was judging like an adult graphic novel award, basically. And I think I read fifty books in a month. And after that, I, I was, I have never, I have yet to be the same about comics <laughs> actually. And wow. I just burnt myself out on it in a, in a way that was like hard in a, in a way that I don't, you know, I wouldn't wish on somebody. So, but that said, I'm coming and getting to do, getting to read comics again in a, like a regimented way where I'd be letting every other people down if I didn't at least read a, read a book a week. Cause I would fuck up the podcast, I think is like actually been really nice for that. So yeah, the, like the last few books that we've like, like even Yona of the Dawn, we put that episode up. I was like, I was probably like, I'm looking back on that. I remember it more fondly, I think, than it comes across on the podcast. Like, I do think it's just a really good example of what it does. And I don't think it's bad. And I don't think it's, yeah, competent was maybe mean, <laughs> but it's it's not even mean. It wasn't like meant that way. But yeah, I look back on it and it's like, I really loved, even though we're adults, I really loved Be Morphosis this week. Journal of My Father kind of crushed me. Getting to read Tech on Concrete with all you guys was really nice. But then I go back and I'm thinking, like, what was the last book that actually just destroyed you? Uh, and I think it was probably the Freddy Stories by uh, Linda Berry oh. from the Marlis comics. And Linda Berry, I just love her work. I love her work so much. It's it's meant a lot to me. I read 100 Demons at exactly the right time. And it supplanted <laughs> 100 Demons became my uh, my favorite book. And it supplanted the invisibles <laughs> so that's you could tell wow. how long wow. i had been you know really into the invisibles so <laughs> so uh 
It's funny too because I would read. I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give people Invisibles to read. I'd give them Kill Your Boyfriend first to see if they were cool enough to read Invisibles, uh, and then if smart. they didn't like Kill Your Boyfriend, I'd be like, "No, it's cool. Don't worry. You're never going to get the good stuff." <laughs> <laughs> I actually bought the first page of Kill Your Boyfriend out from under Ray Fox one time at San Diego <gasps> Comic Con, and I don't really? know if he's ever forgiven me. Oh but, my god. Uh, Ray Fox, author of One Soul and many other books. But yeah, anyway, long story short, I have one page one of Kill Your Boyfriend. It's really good. I had no idea. How have I known I you this it, long and not known that? Bought it directly from Philip Bond at San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, it's because wow. you stopped going to San Diego Comic-Con because it was too difficult. I have one. I may <laughs> wow. be able to trump Chris, but it's a friend's page. No, do it, do it. the last page of The Invisibles. Like now Fuck our sentence is up. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, so good. Wow. So nice. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I had to interject that. But no, no, no. Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I actually the I looking at my shelf and I've I've gotten rid of a lot of books over the last couple of years. And so everything that's left is stuff that has stayed with me in a really important way. Like Onwards Towards Our Noble Death by Shigeru Mizuki is really, really, really good. And it's about a basically a, a Japanese soldier being given orders he knows are terrible and suicidal at the end of the war and having to follow them anyway uh and yeah it's that's really good all of tatsumi yoshihiro's work is really good like i don't know i think it's i think you guys are are right in that there's no there's no this is what we need more of in comics because every time you say that you get something like bl metamorphosis which is like a slice of life story about a teenage girl befriending a woman at the end of her life and it turns out that's awesome too so maybe that's what we need more of in comics <laughs> but also we need more lesbian romances and also we need more like sad sack <laughs> my dad kept secrets from me manga and we also like we need no all more of stuff, that right? i can't my, yeah. my, <laughs> my kleenex supply can't keep up with that kind of book. <laughs> i i want i just want more good comics I don't know. It's my favorite part of the podcast is that yeah. like we pick something and we get behind it. So that and it's forcing me to actually read books. I read I, I read a book. I read a BL in preparation for this week. I can't remember what it's called, but it was a new BL. And I was like, oh, right. I don't really like BL <laughs> as, as a gay dude. Like, I don't hate it. And there are some BL books I really like, but I, I get it again and I get what's attractive about it. And it made just BL Metamorphosis hit even better. So I thought that I have, was really good. I have, I have many more questions about BL that we'll get to, I'm sure, in the future. <laughs> well, we're going to have to pick a, an actual BL at some point. Yeah. I do have a lot that I like BL, but then I, I tend to like SM and stuff like that. Oh, SM is great, but yeah. BL fans hate her. It's like a, it's like a little ad on the side of a website. BL fans hate her, but you. Oh come know, on, no. Uh, she doesn't draw anyone wispy enough. She draws everyone fucking ripped, and I love that. I love, I love that. SM's work. <laughs> She's drawing my, dudes that are like in their for SM and books like, are like SM boys. You'd actually like to. F- <laughs> well, because it wouldn't go to jail. Maybe that's my case. <laughs> they're in their twenties and they look like they're still fourteen, and that's like my biggest one of my problems with BL. But like, wow. it's not even about I'm learning that. so it's, much. Yeah, <laughs> it's like SM. SM is like a mangaka who looks like she learned to draw by reading Neil Adams comics from the seventies, and it's just like beautifully lithe, muscular, like drawing every muscle group, like beautiful movement kind of stuff it's it's amazing stem is is an amazing creator and super underrepresented in english translation uh, unfortunately yeah anyway anyway i I love that deb's like dude's got to be jacked or get the fuck out (laughs) (laughs) well like the rest of them they look the like the boys even in bl metamorphosis they i mean i'm fully in oyaji land now 
I I admit it. I'm an old lady. I like older men. <laughs> Oyachi and, is is the Japanese term for like a distinct like an older older man, but it's not always distinguished or whatever. Sometimes it's just like a dumpy old man who's like sort of drawn kind of cute, you know, or whatever. It's uh, Oyaji manga is huge, and we're actually starting to get some too. That's uh, Man and His Cat is Oyaji manga. Yeah, and yeah. do you like do you like a man and his cat? Yeah. He's nice. <laughs> He'd be a little more buff. <laughs> no, no, the buff doesn't matter. Distinguished. Distinguished. I see. You know, like mm. uh like some gray like some gray in the beard. Keanu Reeves I like a lot. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, All yeah, right. I mean Fine. who doesn't though? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, was that is that like saying I like ice cream? I'm sorry. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> I would say I also want to add that I I really love Kaoramori's Emma. Um, I oh. think that is a perfect manga. Yeah, we really liked we really liked um, Bride Story a lot actually. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised. And maybe we'll we should go back because Kaoramori was one of those ones that everyone kind of really dug on. So it's just hard with Emma because her first the first volumes the first couple volumes of art is not as polished. Oh, there you go. It's the manga problem. <laughs> it's like, oh, the first yeah, volume, and you're trying out. You're not where you'll be when you're a superstar. So. But it's a perfect romantic romantic manga, and the, the story is, you know, a grown-up, but not grown-up in a gross way. You know, like, some, <laughs> like sometimes people say grown-up, and it's like, oh, it's over-the-top sex, and it's over-top violence. Like, no, 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 not that kind of grown-up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they got to do their taxes. Damn it! Kind of grown up. Hire contractors to put in the gazebo in the back. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking forward. Like D and Q is bringing bring up a book called uh, "Offshore Lightning" next year, mm-hmm. written mm-hmm. by an uh, older uh, female manga. Kind like she took a break from creating manga in her. 40s. Oh yeah, yeah. Her, and then uh, she's in her 60s now, I think. And she did a manga about taking care of an uh, two siblings taking care of a their parent who has dementia. And it's really, it's actually kind of funny because there's a scene in the excerpt that DMQ put out where the the old the mother tells the son, "Oh, I I gave birth to your brother, yeah, but he didn't make it. It's so sad." And then the woman in the next hospital bed over says, "She's full. She's lying. She just had was constipated. She just gave a really big shit." <laughs> and she, oh, wow! And she and she thought she gave birth, and so and then then. You know, the, the brother and sister are laughing at the cars after the brother tells the story. And she goes, mom named her own shit. <laughs> that's a heavy, that, there you go. That's that's some grown up stuff wow. right there. Dealing yeah. with your senile mom. Wow. Uh, so it's Nazuna uh, Saito and uh, Offshore Lightning is coming from Drawn Quarterly in February. That's, I don't know. There's an excerpt on the DNQ site. I'll probably link it in the show notes so you can check it out. But uh, that was a really good question that Erica sent us Ooh. after we shouted her out. That's actually after we shouted her out on the episode of Even Though We're Adults, actually. She yeah. was just like, oh, thank you. Here's questions. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great question. I'm a little surprised no one uh, said sex criminals. But anyways. <laughs> I was going to say Daredevil, but I figured it would embarrass you a little bit. <laughs> this is what comic should be. A man in a tight red outfit beating up people. <laughs> He sometimes he's sat on roofs. It's okay. <laughs> I was going to say that so that when when this episode airs, we will know whether Chip is an Eisner Award winner this year or a multiple. I will, not be. I will not be. Oh, come now! I look, hope you eat those words. You are beloved look, in the industry. I, look, I voted looking, for you. So looking far. at the oh, thank you. Looking at the odds, I'm I'm nominated twice. Continuing series, so I'm splitting the vote right there. Mm. So I'm, I'm kind of done. Best writer? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. 
Oh, come now. If you get nominated twice in the same category, shouldn't they just give it to you? Shouldn't that be like the key? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. I'll update the show notes with whether or not you won, and then we will never speak of this again. Great. Sounds Mm -hmm. good. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. I think that's it for this uh, episode of Manga Spinning. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you soon. This has been Manga Explaining episode 23. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga Frank and Fran Omnibus 1 and 2 by Katsuhisa Kigitsu from Seven Seas Entertainment. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment for this episode. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.